Good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. We're so glad that you have decided to uh, worship with us this morning, and we're launching, launching a new series called uh, From Terror uh, to Triumph. And uh, anytime you talk about terror, uh, it seems like, well, what a way to wake up in the morning, right? But on Easter, we actually celebrate the second part of this series, which is the triumph that we have as we follow Christ. And so I'm going to be talking about the difference that the resurrection makes But I think this day, Easter Sunday, is the most important celebration and really remembrance of what Christ did on the face of the earth. I think everything pales uh, in comparison to what we celebrate this day. So here at Ridgeview, we make a big deal of Easter because we think it's the event, the sole event that actually changed the course of history. Uh, It's also the event that changes the course of our lives. Uh, But you may be here and there's things that you're trying to figure out in your life. Uh, You may be trying to investigate Christ yourself. You may be trying to figure out where he is in some of the things that you're facing. They could be uh, difficult things. But there's times on Easter Sunday where it seems like uh, you need to maybe dress the part, and it looks like like this picture, if any of you can relate. This is like the perfect uh, Easter picture. Uh, Obviously, they don't have the allergies that, that we have here that have been raging since those rains and the sun is out. But look, there's no allergies there. It's perfect. Every, every kid and parents are in the perfect position. And then, you know, you, you decorate Easter eggs. How many people have decorated Easter eggs yet? Anyone done that? And it looks like, look, there's no mess. Like, there's nothing on the table, and it's like perfect. And you may have woken up this morning, you're like, that's what I want in my life, a perfect Easter. It will never happen. That's why it's an image that I can Google and not find in real life. Oftentimes, Easter feels like this. Uh, Your life may feel like this. Here's another picture that maybe represents reality, (laughs) right? Like, bunny is a little scary, maybe, for some. Uh, And then here's maybe something you wanted to make for a party today. And it, like, look at the, man, the expectation and the reality. Uh, The second picture looks like somebody sat on it, right? Like, that's what I could do. Um, But we find in life, even on days like this, as great as the celebration it is, we find that tension again and again, the, the tension between expectation and reality, what we hope for and what is. And we can get lost uh, in the weeds of those. We can get overwhelmed by anxious thoughts. And so in your life and like my life, uh, we think thoughts every day. What goes in between our ears and our mind uh, leads us down paths every day. Some are good, some are not. Some things that we think are true, some things that we think are false, they're lies, And it's hard to differentiate sometimes between the two. Because if you have the thought, it seems like it makes sense. And so you make decisions based on that. This series is about how do we deal with the terrors that all of us face, things that that weigh us down, things that that burden us. And so I want to just define terms for us so we're all on the same page. So terror, since we're talking about terror to triumph, terror, the definition of that is a state of intense or overwhelming fear. So my question is, have any of you experienced terror in your life where you've had this paralyzing fear or emotions that are overwhelming or things that you're facing that just seem to to paralyze you. I know in my life I have. And sometimes it ramps up and sometimes it lessens, but I I know terror like that. It's it's within me at times. It's within my mind. And then there's things in our world. Are you seeing anything that's happening in our world? And it fills you with those same things. Like you just see what happens in the news. You see what's happening in our culture. You see what's happening in the world. And it can just tend to just paralyze you and overwhelm you. Well, that's what terrors do. And then triumph is the opposite, and it's a very simple definition. A triumph is to obtain victory. So on one hand, you have this overwhelming, paralyzing fear, and then a triumph 
which allows you victory uh, over that. So think about the terrors and then think about the victory. And sometimes, again, there's a distance there. There's this expectation that we hope that that victory comes, and sometimes it doesn't. It seems like the terrors are winning in our lives. It seems like the terrors are winning in our state, in our world. All around, we see it. So I want to ask you some questions. What do you see crumbling uh, in our society? Do you see anything? Is there anything crumbling? Speaking of terrors in our world, what are areas that concern you and maybe cause fear for you? Another question, uh, how do you long for the good old days? Now, the younger crew in here, you maybe think like 2009 was so much better than now, right? But if, if you're older, have you in the past year or two looked back and said, man, if it was only like it was when I was a kid or when I was growing up, how do you long for the good old days? Do you look back in nostalgia and have just a sense of loss because things are not how they used to be? Have you considered that in the last few weeks in your life? And then Third, as you look at the future in our country and world, what comes to mind, especially if you have kids, do you look at your kids' future? What faces them? What comes to mind? See, with all those questions, it's easy for us to identify, yeah, you know what? I have had moments where terror has been real, where that overwhelming sense of fear can begin to just come to the forefront of our mind. Then you look at our, our culture and specifically even our state. It seems like the amount of terror is just on the rise in our state. You know, in the first time ever, we're, we're at a loss of population. Over the last three years, we are down 500,000 people in California. And people are leaving California, right? See this sign? Used to be welcome to California. Now, if you think about that word or that, that number, 500,000, I want to know where those are on the freeway. Like, how is that possible? Because it still seems like there's tons of people, and there, there are. But as that terror rises, you even see it in just this, just our state alone. Like people just, they need, to, they need to get out of here because those terrors are on the rise. So in the middle of these terrors that are within us, internal, and terrors that are external that we face, maybe some of those questions that we ponder related to our life, our kids' life, grandkids, the future, how could we obtain a victory? How could, as those terrors on the ride, we actually get ground so that we can experience hope? How is that possible in a world where it seems like it just keeps getting worse? It's possible because of what Christ has done. When we celebrate Easter, we celebrate the triumph that comes from him. Let's watch a brief clip that, that highlights that.
Amen. Let's pray. We can all go home. No, just kidding. You're like, pastor's wrapping up quick. <laughs> but this video really does highlight the hope that we have from, from terror to triumph. It is the empty tomb which represents the resurrected Christ, the king who will rule. And that's what this series is all about. And we launch it today because without the resurrection of Christ, there really is no hope that will last. There aren't really answers to our questions. There's not life when all we face is death, but it's because of Easter and what Christ did that Christ's resurrection should turn our terror into triumph. Christ's resurrection should turn our terror into triumph. Now, when you think of terror, like that deep sense of overwhelming fear, uh, people can give you ideas, and they can give you insights, what you can do to help. Maybe you could read this, or maybe you could do that, or maybe you could think about this. But in those times of overwhelming fear, what we need is not just insight. We actually need help. When we're stuck and we can't move forward because we're paralyzed, we need somebody to rescue us. We don't need ideas. We don't need information. We need to be rescued. And what we celebrate today and what churches are celebrating across the whole entire world is the truth of this, that because he rose from the dead, we can experience the triumph over all of our terrors. Now, Christ lived in real life, in a real time, about 2,000 years ago, and he had authority as he taught, and people understood, and some people didn't. Some followed him, and some didn't, but he really came to draw people to his Father, the Almighty God who made all of us. And in his ministry, people kept asking him, why do you have the authority for which you claim? Why do you do what you do? And they kept trying to corner him. Some people were amazed by it and some people were threatened by him. And I wanna start with the account of Jesus, if you've grown up in the church, Jesus clearing the temple. The church had become a place, a marketplace where people were selling goods and it was no longer becoming this house of prayer for people to worship and meet with God, but a place where they could gain an advantage. And I think in this encounter, you find really the human existence of we keep trying to get ahead, but we always miss the mark without God. In all of our attempts to gain an advantage, we gain the advantage in the wrong way. And in John chapter two, Jesus comes into this temple that this has happened. It says, in the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple 
with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. So he came in and he actually brought the muscle. He brought authority. This is not what the temple is for. And in verse 16, it says, and he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. And he showed great authority. He came in and saw a mess. And what did Jesus do? He cleaned it up. And the religious leaders of the time saw that he came in and he changed a reality that existed. This is the temple. This is what it did. This was a place where people had no regard for the holy things of God, no regard for what is right and true. They were just looking for their own advantage, their own way to get ahead. He came to disrupt the status quo. And there's people that didn't like that. And the story picks up in verse 18. It says, the Jewish authorities came back at him with a question. What miracle can you perform to show us that you have the right to do this? Jesus answered, tear down this temple, and in three days, I will build it again. Verse 20, are you going to build it again in three days, they asked him. It has taken 46 years to build this temple. But the temple Jesus was speaking about was his body. So when he was raised from death, his disciples remember that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and what Jesus had said. So Jesus came with authority, cleared out the temple, disrupted the status quo, and regained the temple for its purpose, for people to connect with the living God, to worship him. The Jewish authorities came and said, listen, you need to perform a miracle so we know that you're for real. Like if he wasn't for real enough that he came and he disrupted the temple for its original purpose. He said, look, Jesus, show us, show us a miracle so we know you have authority. What's very interesting is, hasn't he just shown it? Didn't he come and show he had authority because he changed the status quo? And then Jesus made a statement which just caused so much disruption. Well, I'll tear down the temple and it will be re rebuilt in three days. But the temple he was talking about, like the scriptures say, was his body. And here he's saying, the authority that you look for and the miracle that you want to see so that you know that I'm for real, you will. But it will not come in the matter for which you think. The miracle that you look for and the authority that you're asking about, you have no idea. It will not come in this power of overcoming the authorities of our land, but it will come in the power of overcoming death. And I will be killed and I'll be raised again on the third day. The title of today's sermon is how Jesus is our conquering king. And he conquered death, and he conquered sin, and he conquered the grave so that we would not be paralyzed by those things, so that we would not be paralyzed by the terrors that we face. Now, if you read the Gospels, you find that he had many encounters, and he led this ministry and kept teaching and people get following him, and he performed miracles, and again, his popularity was growing, and then his popularity began to dwindle on his last days. Later, as Christ had been arrested to face his death on a cross, he, he faced soldiers, he faced religious leaders, priests, men with power, more than anyone that you would encounter in that day. These were the power, the stakeholders of his day, and they all faced Jesus to take him, to arrest him, to shame him, to intimidate him, to blot Jesus out, to cancel him. Even his closest followers 
people that didn't have this authority, but that knew him intimately, that loved him, that had seen him, even they scattered. And Peter, you know the story, betrayed him. Three times denied that he knew Christ. So as Christ is facing the worst thing that you could ever face, this imminent death, and the worst death, he was also an innocent man. And at the end of all of these authority figures, he reaches the one of the highest, and it's Pontius Pilate, who is the Roman governor. And he stood before Pontius, and in John 18, Pilate wants to know, are are you the king of the Jews? Are you who you say you are? Are you who people say? And he wants an answer. And if you are, since you're here, what have you done? See, the authorities of the time, they wanted people to give authority with their words. Tell me. Tell me who you are. Tell me who you are so we can trick you. Tell me who you are so we could find a mistake in your teaching. Tell me who you are so we can refute who you are. And Jesus, he didn't. Now, if he was a mere man and he was innocent, what would you do if you were cornered by the highest authority in the land? For me, I would scatter. I'd run. I'd say, listen, you know what, Pilate, this is all like a little misunderstanding. I don't know how this all happened, but this has gotten a lot bigger and a lot more way out of hand than I thought. But Jesus didn't. This is what Jesus said in John 18, 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. You see, the advancement of God's kingdom is not the triumph of taking lives. It's not rooted in military power or economic supremacy. The ultimate triumph came from one sacrifice that many could be saved. From one death that many could live. And Christ was this sacrifice that represented a kingdom not from this world. So you think about what Jesus said to the highest ranking authority of anyone who could meet in that region. He says, listen, my my kingdom's not of this world. Now, if you think, if Jesus would have been killed and he stayed in the grave, the kingdom of the world would have won because the death at human hands of this world would have conquered him. Think about that for a moment, what Jesus is saying. My kingdom is not of this world. The same that he said to the Jewish authorities, but in a moment, you will see how that is true. And the reason it is true is because he raised from the grave. He raised from the dead. Christ did not stay dead. And that's the hope that we have. I want to just highlight a few of these hopes. Now, if you're investigating what it means to follow Christ, again, if he has a kingdom, not of this world, and he has an authority, and the scriptures portray him as a conquering king, then the questions that you have about him, he's strong enough and he's able enough to answer them. So it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to investigate. But you must face this event and ask yourself the question, if this is true, then how does this change how I see the world? If this is true, how does that change my life? If this is true, how does that change my terrors, my fear? the things that I'm paralyzed about. And so if you're investigating, ask your questions. A helpful resource, we actually have this for you. If you're not a Christian and you're 
trying to figure out what it means to follow Christ, we have these books called The Case for Easter. They're at the back table. We encourage you to grab one and read it. It's asking the question from an investigative journalist, was the resurrection true? Did it actually happen? And if it did, why does it matter? And so I encourage you to pick that up. For me in my life, I've done this investigation. And I know the depths of my terrors. I know the thoughts that I have, the things that paralyze me, but I also know that there's a God who sent his son Jesus and the triumph over the grave, the life over death is the answer to all of my problems. And it is the hope that I need. So let's talk about what the resurrection proves. If this is real, then it's true. The resurrection proves first that we are free from the power of fear and death. One of the greatest fears that we face as humans, and it's existed forever, is the fear of death. And if you think about it, that makes sense because the fear of death represents the end of our existence. We're here and then we're not. There's no more things that we can hope for or do because it's like our purpose, our being, our existence, it's, it's wiped out. And so death oftentimes represents our ultimate fear. It's the end. There's a lot of questions about the end because we don't know. It's like this abyss. It's like a cave that we walk in. And the closer you get to death, the more fearful that can become. Satan, our enemy, there is an enemy that exists, the devil, Satan. He knows this, and so he ramps up this fear of death to, to paralyze us. On one hand, it paralyzes us, and then if you think this life is all you have, then on the other hand, you just live for yourself, selfishly. This is the only life, and then I die, and it's over, and I'm just going to get the most that I can. Or we get into self-preservation. We get so fearful that we do all that we can to avoid this imminent death. But Christ came to the death that we are so fearful of, it will lose its sting. That's what scriptures tell us. By Christ rising from the grave, he who was dead and has no longer conquered death, and it's never been done. Hebrews 2 says this, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. This is speaking how Jesus was the incarnate. He was fully God and fully human. He partook of the same things. He came into our reality, into this world, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong, what does that say? Slavery. So if you back that up, you look at the last word, slavery, that really does highlight terror. It's being a slave, slave to fear. And then if you back that up, what frees you from lifelong slavery? The fact that Christ came, that through his death, he might destroy the one, the devil, who has the power of death so that we may be freed from lifelong slavery. That is the hope that we have. Now, how much of your day is spent in fear? Do you struggle with fear yourself? Are there people in your life that you love dearly that struggle with fear? And they're burdened by it, and they're overwhelmed by it. If Hebrews 2 is true, and Christ rose from the dead to conquer death, 
and the slavery attached to it, does that change the way we look at our fears? It should. It absolutely should. Because what Christ did has given us victory. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle, but it means that the truth of the resurrection is what we keep coming back to. God, despite this fear, this overwhelming fear of of what's gonna happen to my kids, what's gonna happen to my life, what's gonna happen to our country, what's gonna happen in the future, despite these things that overwhelm me and just feel like I just can't get past it. I know that you died for me and you rose again. I don't have to be a slave to the unknown. I don't have to be a slave to death because it has been conquered by your name in your name. And it's the name that saves the name of Jesus. The second thing the resurrection proves is that we've been given victory over sin and its guilt and shame. So another question is, do you know people in your life, and maybe people is when you look in the mirror, that struggle with guilt and shame? Regret, looking back. I don't know how many conversations I have on a weekly basis of people that are just kind of trying to overcome the past decisions that they have made or trying to help people overcome the past decisions that they have made. The church should be full of people with guilt and shame looking for answers because we know that outside of Christ, you can't overcome guilt and shame. You can't improve yourself out of it. You can't get knowledge enough to overcome it. The only way to overcome guilt and shame is found in the person of Jesus who conquered sin because sin causes guilt and it causes shame. Romans 8, verse six says, and we know that our old being has been put to death with Christ on his cross. So I just wanna stop there. Have you done something in your life that you regret and it keeps coming up in your mind and you really battle that? I think all of us have certain things that we can just, just comes up now and again. Maybe it comes up regularly. Let me read that first sentence again. And we know that our old being has been put to death with Christ on his cross. What the scripture is saying is the things that you have done were nailed to the cross when Christ himself was nailed to the cross. And the shame that you faced was nailed to the cross when Christ was nailed to the cross. And the guilt that you faced was what? Nailed to the cross when Christ was nailed to the cross. Think about that. It's dead. It's dead. We don't have to keep beating ourselves up anymore. We don't have to keep looking back at regret, wondering what could have been. There's a renewed sense of hope. We've been forgiven. And it says, in order that the power of the sinful self might be what? Destroyed. I just, guys, we, we have to get this. If this is what the resurrection is about, and you hear words like destroyed, that means our perspective should see the things that we face and the grip that it has on us and say, wait, how can something have such a grip on me if it is what? Destroyed. We have to think about this. This is real. It changes everything. And it goes on so that we should no longer be the slaves of what? Sin. Isn't that interesting? We talked about the fear of death, lifelong slavery, and what again? The slave to what? Sin. I just wanna stop here again. I'm gonna keep saying that. I just gotta stop here. The reason is, is in our world, there's people that are looking for escape from their terror 
and they end up pursuing sin, the very thing that then slaves them again. And we see it in our world. Now, in a movie that we watch, it all works out. Like, oh, wow, they made really bad decisions. And then right when the credits roll, it's all solved and everyone's smiling and come back for the sequel. But in our life, people are plagued by the pain of sin and guilt and shame. But what Paul is saying here in the book of Romans is that you can actually overcome. And those shackles that that slave you and just tie you in knots of guilt and shame, they can be broken. In verse 7, for when we die, we are set free from the power of sin. Since we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Now, this is describing being born again. You die to the old way. That's what it means to be a Christian. You're not born again in the natural way. You're born again in a spiritual way. Because when we sin, and all of us have sinned, our life is broken and the world is broken. That's why we can look and ask those questions about what terrors do we face in our country, in our world, when we think about our kids and future generations. The reason we have terror is because of sin, and sin is real. It's not something that we just make up. It's real. It impacts the world. It impacts our lives. But we don't have to be slave to that. The resurrection proves that there's no power there anymore. Romans 8, verse 37, check out this. It says, now, in all these things, we have a complete, what does that word say? Victory through him who loved us. Do you see the tension between these two worlds in which we live? Freedom versus slavery. Victory versus terror and defeat and death. We have complete victory, not partial, not somewhat, not a little bit, not if we feel it, but complete victory through him who loved us. For I'm certain that nothing can separate us from his love. What can separate us from his love? What can separate us from his love? What can separate us from his love? You read words like nothing, you're like, yeah, but what about? What am I, special, like, nothing, nothing, no thing can separate us from his love. Then it goes on the list. Neither death nor life. Remember that fear? You don't have to be fearful. Neither death nor life. Neither angels nor other heavenly rulers or powers. Neither the present nor the future. Neither the world above nor the world below. There is nothing in all creation that will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is ours through Christ Jesus, our Lord. The reason that we have hope in this passage is because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. Because he was the temple that was destroyed. He was the sacrifice that was needed to pay the penalty for the sin and the brokenness of our lives and our world. And he paid it in full. And there's nothing that we can do that can separate us from that love. If that's not the greatest news that we have, I don't know what is, because it is life-altering, changing, history-making news, what Christ has done. I wanna just highlight what this means. 
Specifically, for those of you that maybe you've not yet decided to follow Jesus, and we're talking about what Christ has done to overcome death, what Christ has done to overcome the guilt and shame and how we can know that. See, what Christ has done, we can know personally, but we can only know personally if we decide to follow him. And that's what it means to be born again. Here's what the scriptures say. The fact that the Christ, the conquering king, he leads us to salvation. Salvation, we're saved from death, from sin, from shame, from guilt. Here's what the scriptures say. I'm gonna just walk through briefly the book of Romans. It highlights this, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Remember the word nothing? Another important word here, all. Now, I think most of us would admit that we've all fallen short. What that's saying is that we have all sinned. But that's a good question. Do you agree with that? And my second question to follow that up is, do you live with people? Right? Relationships get messed up a lot. Why? Sin. For all have sinned. It's actually humbling, though, to admit that you're a sinner. Because if you admit that you're a sinner, you have to admit that there's a problem. And then you have to ask more questions. So if there's a problem, and I have sinned, then where does this problem lead me? What do I do with the problem? A better way to ask it is, how do I solve it? And people are looking for countless ways to solve the problem of sin. And Christ has came. Christ did come to solve it once and for all. But it gets better. Romans 5.8, that God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, this is who we are. What does it say? Christ died for us. So what's the solution? Christ's death, his sacrifice for us. He paid the penalty. Scriptures say the wages of sin is death, and Christ said, okay, I'll take that. I'll take that payment, and I will pay it fully myself. If you take a step back and you look at the world, you look at what movies say, and what college teaches us, and education, and the more knowledge you gain, and the things that you listen to, and what the news says, they also have an answer, okay? If we have a problem with sin, what's their solution? That's the kind of thing you wanna begin to ask as you live. What's the solution to the problems people have? And if it goes around in how man can solve it, we're always gonna end up short, why? Because if man is a sinner, how can a man solve the problem of sin? That's why man just kept saying, well, by what authority? Show us a miracle. And Jesus said, I don't need to tell you. I will show you, and I will die, and I will rise again. Because my kingdom can do what your kingdom on this earth can never do, and it solved the problem. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, the highlight is it's a gift, and it's free. That means you can't earn it. You can't clean yourself up before you come to follow Christ. There's people that sometimes are interested in, in being baptized and they've decided to follow Christ and said, yes, I'm a sinner, I admit it. I need Christ to save me and I wanna follow him, but I'm not yet ready to get baptized. I need to kind of get some traction. I need to get down the road. And I understand that. It's kind of sense of like, I wanna get my feet under me. I wanna learn God's ways. But baptism represents the ultimate truth. You can't clean yourself up first. Only Christ can clean you up. And so believe and follow Christ and get baptized because that's the symbolic truth of being buried to your old way 
and risen again in Christ. It's a gift. We can't earn it. And that gift is given to anyone who believes. Romans 10 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So if you look at these passages in Romans, this is the backdrop of why Jesus came. We had a problem and the problem was sin. Because we have a kingdom from this world and the world is plagued by sin and we're plagued by sin, we can't solve that problem. So Christ came into our world, took on flesh, fully man, fully God, and paid the price that we could not. And he gave it to us freely. And if you decide to receive that gift, then you look at what the resurrection proves, that freedom from death and that freedom from sin and the guilt and the shame. This is why Easter is a big deal because it changes everything. So I want to encourage you to think of these things before you go to maybe your next event and what you have going on. In your life, if you've not yet decided to follow Christ here at Ridgeview, we want to help you with that decision. We want to help you understand what it means to stop going your own way in the kingdom of this world, but go God's way and decide to follow him. And so on your connection card that Joel and Emily asked you to fill that out, if you could pull that out right now, it looks like this. There's a place at the back, uh, the back at the bottom uh, that says, uh, send me info about following Jesus. And so if you've never decided to follow Jesus and you want to know what that means, then check that and we'll follow up with you. We want to have a conversation with you about the most important aspect of life, your, your spiritual journey with God. And so check that if you've not yet decided to follow a Christian and you're interested. Uh, finish filling that out and there's a few next steps I want to encourage you to take today. We take steps here at Ridgeview Church. This is our way of how do we put into practice what we've heard? How do we not just think things, but do things? You need to have both at the same time. We engage with our, our mind, and then we, we put into action what we learn. And so as the band comes up, I just want to walk through these next steps. Uh, first one I've already mentioned, but for the first time, I'll choose to become a Christian. If you've not yet decided to follow Christ, you can even find me after the service. I'll be at the, the next step area, and you can nail that down today. You can just say, you know, I want to follow Jesus and I'll follow him with my whole life. And we'll help you do that. Uh, the second is I wanna make Ridgeview my church home. Maybe you've been attending Ridgeview and you've kind of been just wondering and taking it in, but maybe today's the day you say, you know what, I, I wanna put my roots down here. I wanna plug in. I want this to be more than just an Easter experience. I wanna make this my community where I can grow and learn. And so you may wanna make that decision today. And then third is decide to come back for the rest of the series. Today, we talked about Christ, the conquering king, how he rose from the grave so that we could have triumph and victory. But over the next few weeks, we're going to just keep unfolding that reality, and you'll see what we'll be talking about. Next week, the right side of history instead of the wrong side. What if we're living at just the exact time we should be living to make a difference in our world? See, if Christ's resurrection really does do what the scriptures say, then we don't just wait for Christ to come back. We engage here and now. We make a difference in our world. Uh, the week after, we're gonna talk about the way we should live, the next righteous generation, what it means for the future of our kids and grandkids, and then the return of the king. How does knowing Jesus will come back make a difference here and now? So I encourage you, come back. 
engage with us. We'd love to help you grow. If I've never met you, I'd love to meet you after the service. I'm gonna pray. We're gonna sing another song and receive our offering. But we're so glad you decided to celebrate with us this Easter. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this glorious celebration. And we know that we bring a mixed bag of motives and problems and burdens, but we lay them at your feet knowing that Christ has done all that was needed. Uh, We don't have to pay a price any longer. It's been paid in full. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you that in his name, there's authority and there is no higher authority than his name. God, we thank you for this church, the opportunity to gather and worship and focus on what is truly important. Will you help us in our minds and in our hearts to grasp how the resurrection changes the way that we live, how we counter lies, how we move with the right attitude, and how we can take action in your name. We thank this in the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen.